Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. This is the Church Law Podcast, where you can get practical solutions for today's leaders. I'm your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney. Welcome back to the Church Law Podcast. My name is Erika Cole, and I'm happy to be your podcast host. Did you know that I created the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, a proprietary process for denominations and churches to assess their health from a legal perspective? You can learn more and download your free legal audit document checklist found in the show notes. Well, I'm really excited for today's episode. I have with me a fantastic guest that you've probably heard before. He is a pleasure to have on the podcast each time he's here. His name is Matthew Branagh. And he is the editor at Church Law and Tax and also an attorney himself. We are doing something brand new today, Matt, and I'm happy to have you a part of the podcast. Thanks so much, Eureka. It's great to be on again. And this should be fun. We're going to be putting on our uh, thinking caps and looking ahead. We're looking ahead for sure because we find ourselves at the end of 2023. It's amazing. And we are looking ahead to 2024. So just like many of you who are listening, we are planning ahead for 2024 and anticipating what we might see for the upcoming year. And we want to prepare you, our listeners. So we're going to provide you what we think are the four in 2024 top hits to look out for in the legal arena that's impacting churches. And some of this, to be honest with you, it's a bit heavy because it's a wild world that we're living in right now. And we're right there with you. And we're wanting to be along for the ride and to help you and your church be prepared as we come into this new year. So we're going to give you what we think are our top four issues to look out for, to be on the lookout, to prepare yourselves for as we go into 2024. So you ready, Matt? I'm ready. Let's do it. So the first is, I would say broadly, a review of your church policies. I just think that as a general matter, I'm a fan of having good systems, of having good policies. I was literally just talking with the church earlier today. And, you know, they're a large church. They've planted several churches and, you know, so thousands of members, et cetera. And one of the things that they were saying is, how do we make sure people, you know, actually do these things? And I say, this is why we create policies. We can't change the human inclination, right? To not always know we're all works in progress, but having good policies is a great way to ensure that everybody's on the same page. 
So there's always a list of policies that we think would be helpful. And we want to highlight one of them today because it's come into the news and you might have heard about the claims with Liberty University. They have a an ongoing matter of litigation, which we won't speak into a lot, but it did go specifically to a whistleblower on their board who highlighted some, from his perspective, financial improprieties. And I've talked with many churches that don't have a whistleblower policy. They don't have one. And frankly, they didn't consider that they might need one. So Matt, from your perspective, could you share your thoughts about why having a whistleblower policy is something that churches would want to consider in 2024 and why maybe it's a bit more relevant now than in past years? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said at the beginning here, kind of a hard topic, a heavy topic, not something we want to necessarily talk a lot about. And yet it's really important that we do. And one, what I would say is there's two really important reasons. One that's maybe more internally facing and another that's really externally facing. And what I mean by that is internally, by having a whistleblower policy, it helps reinforce that culture of honesty and transparency that I think we all want in our churches. And it just communicates the expectation that things are going to go a certain way here. And if for some reason something looks amiss or awry, we have a process for flagging that and addressing it. And so there's that sort of that ethos that you help reinforce when you have a whistleblower policy that's in place. And then externally, it's the reinforcing of that posture to the community at large, saying we care about this, we take these matters seriously. And when we care about these things, we're in fact reinforcing what we believe are God-honoring attributes and virtues. And so for the reasons that you've stated, why do we have policies? Why do we look into them and revisit them and then you know use them? It's because we want good things happening inside and we want to be communicating good things to the outside. I love that. I love that. I firmly agree. And I would also just want to share that the whistleblower policy just helps the board to understand if there is an issue, here's the process, right? We have created a process for hearing concerns that you might have, as opposed to an environment where people's concerns feel stuffed. So I love that what you shared in that regard, Matthew, as well. So number one for 2024, review your policies. And if you don't have a whistleblower policy, consider adopting one. So moving on to number two. Number two is finances or the economy. The economy's been interesting. We've all been watching it. I feel like I hang on the words sometimes of the Fed chair. And when there's a meeting of the, you know, the Fed meeting around whether rates are going to be raised again, we're all kind of paying attention. The markets are paying attention. And there's some discussion about whether there will be a recession in 2024. I'm an attorney. I'm not an economist, but I certainly do pay attention. And we know that the markets respond. And churches are not in a vacuum, right? Churches, you know, it's made up of people and people's giving is based on having jobs, etc. And so one of the things that we also want to consider as churches for 2024 is 
if you have a mortgage, for example, which many churches do, and you have a balloon, and that's a very common way that loans are structured. I will say that in private practice, I have assisted countless churches in negotiating their loan documents, reading every page and negotiating their loan documents. And a balloon is very common. So for example, if there's a 15-year mortgage, it may have a balloon at that 15th year, which would require the church to refinance. What we're seeing and what we want to alert you to in 2024 is that runway that you might need as a congregation, as a church, in order to refi your loan is much longer than it used to be. So normally it would be maybe look for a refi option, probably starting with your current lender within that six to eight month window. What we're seeing now is that you want to probably look longer, maybe more like a 12-month window or even longer. So we want to just highlight that in this financial arena for 2024, if you have a loan, if you have a balloon, if it seems that you're going to need to refinance or maybe even seek out lending for a project, you want to give yourself way more time, probably double the time than before these years. Anything you want to add to that, Matt? You're hitting on a really important issue, I think, Erika, and I would just make mention of the following. It's interest rates, it's economy, it's some of these types of dynamics. It's also a state of our banking institutions in the country. And we saw, you know, within the last year, a couple of high-profile banks go under. And so it's created a little bit of turmoil within the banking industry as far as the liquidity and health and financial positions of these institutions. Um, I was on a call with several of our advisors for church law and tax here recently. One of them is David Fletcher, who runs a really great website for executive pastors called Expastor. And David was sharing that he was in communication with a church recently that had a letter of agreement with a bank in which the bank then backed out of that agreement and said it needed to increase its own liquidity in order to be in a better position long-term for funding loans. And wow. so that, that church was now facing the task of looking elsewhere with another lender and going through that process all over again. So it is making it harder for churches to get loans. As David also shared, there was another church that learned kind of on that same runway that you were just describing. It was about 24 months before a balloon was about to kick in and the church would be thinking about refinancing. And that current lender contacted the church and said, you want to start looking now and we're not the one that's going to refinance you for the same reasons with liquidity concerns that the bank was having. So it just reinforces again for churches to be proactive about where they're at with their lending with, with their banking institutions and making certain that they start sooner rather than later on that process because it like it's likely going to take longer. Yeah, I think that this is just good information for church leaders and thanks for highlighting those specific examples. So moving on to number three of our top four in four in 2024, we're seeing that churches are wanting to perhaps take advantage of other financial streams. And I, for one, am here for it. I like it. (laughs) I think there is the wisdom that comes from the word of God 
diversification, I think, is a spiritual principle, honestly. I can't think of exactly where the scripture comes from, but I think it says something to the effect of to have many streams, to create many streams where that God is able to bless. And I think that churches who are considering maybe other alternatives in addition to the giving that comes from membership. So these things could look like solar leases. We've reviewed any number of those. Sometimes you have the reality where churches may have more property than usage right now. And if you have the space that is appropriate for use for solar leases, this is something obviously that's been very active. One of the other areas that we're seeing on the horizon, more so for churches, is EV charging stations. As we are moving toward more green vehicles, this certainly can be an area of consideration for churches. And I really like the concept. I think it's very relevant. One of the other kinds of things we're seeing is maybe creating CDCs or community development corporations. So maybe this under this umbrella of how churches use property now in 2024 and beyond, because a part of it is being relevant within the community as well, as well as maybe raising another stream of revenue. So some of the things I've seen churches do effectively is maybe even have a laundromat or a facility where individuals can make use of just laundering their clothes. I walked through a CDC of a church and I was so impressed to find this kind of facility there. And what they found is that it was really a great way to bring the community in, in a practical way. And often people would stay to engage with the church. So this kind of community hub and practical uses, I think are going to increase in 2024 and beyond. There are some legal considerations though, and we want to flag those. Matt, do you want to step in there? Yeah, absolutely. I love this. And I think what I, first and foremost, what you're touching on is exactly right. When a church is in a community, we want the community to know the church is there and know it's there for good reasons, that it's there to bless the community and serve well and to reflect the love of Christ to everyone that's nearby. And so what I'm hearing you describe is how can churches think more creatively about their properties and how they can use them in ways that extend a blessing to that community that's nearby. And so the examples you've given are great ones. I've even heard churches that are getting creative with affordable housing arrangements with their properties. If they have a lot of extra property or unused property, ways to collaborate with developers in that way. And I think to your point, Erika here, it is always exciting to think about these things and how we can do them. It's also worth making sure we've got some good legal counsel walking alongside us as we go through those processes, because there are considerations. And not everyone that you work with always has the church's best interests in mind. And so whether working with a developer or working with a municipality on zoning or any of those kinds of issues, having a good real estate attorney, somebody that you've pre-screened and selected to be involved is really, really vital. On top of that, we would just mention too, that if you do start generating revenue from some of these arrangements, you know, many years ago, the hot topic was cell phone towers on churches are still well used to this day. And there's lease arrangements that are put into place and churches receive some revenue from those activities. But now we're seeing it in these other examples that you've described, solar panel uses on a church or EV charging stations. And sort of the same ideas stay in view for us. One is 
Make sure that doesn't become a substantial part of your activities where you're generating so much revenue that it sort of draws away from the predominant tax-exempt purpose of your church because that will draw the attention of the IRS. And then also realizing that if you do generate some revenue, you may have to do some payments of tax on that to the IRS. And also there could even be some state-related implications too, depending on where you're located. So just understanding that there are tax implications that are sometimes involved with these things when there's revenue and also just recognizing that you don't want to become so creative that you're suddenly now more of a for-profit venture than a non-profit venture. Right, right. Those are really, really good points. And ultimately, I've seen churches make the decision with wise counsel, they may make the decision to move forward with some of these ventures, recognizing that they may be creating a taxable event and building in the cost of that taxable event into their plan. So this is all about having a salient plan going into these processes. And we're hoping that we're helping equip you today with thinking through these things in a strategic way. All right. Number four, are we ready? Drum roll. (laughs) Big drum roll. Drum roll. Okay. Number four is 2024 is an election year. There we go. It's an election year. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's That's the item. Period. (laughs) Actually, more like an exclamation point, it's looking like. So we're moving forward in an election year. And I think it's just important to have this review that we make sure that we provide you with information that you take advantage of the resources that church law and taxes put together over the years about where the boundaries are for churches when it comes to lobbying, when it comes to actually having individuals at the church who may be running for election, just making sure we have a refresher at this time. And I will say that from a personal level, I have gone to a church before where a candidate was there and there were all kinds of like posters and so forth on the church's lawn. It's a large church. And honestly, the leadership was like, we weren't necessarily looking for this to be done, but people ask us to come. They ask us, you know, whether they can share, they ask to share their materials. And sometimes church leaders don't know where the boundaries are. And frankly, the people who are running for office are not going to know where those boundaries are, right? So it really is incumbent upon church leaders to be aware of the boundaries so that they can appropriately communicate those things to those who are in the political arena. So we just really want to flag this, number one, to say election season is coming and we want to make sure that you are prepared to know where the boundaries are so that we are not operating in a place where we are having substantial lobbying efforts or anything of that nature. And then there's a second component that I think we also want to highlight, Matthew. Do you want to speak to that? Definitely. And just to play off of the political angles here very quickly, we'll include in the show notes a recommended reading page that we have on churchlawandtax.com that really walks through, I think, a really comprehensive list of angles and issues for church leaders including constitutional considerations for political activities, including protections. Now, there are some protections available for churches that want to get involved in some of the political matters that are going on. And there's also the tax-exempt considerations with the IRS that we need to keep in mind. And as you've already noted, really no kind of endorsement or opposition for candidates. 
but some degree, some limited degree of lobbying on ballot measures, initiatives, things that have social, educational, or cultural influences. Churches have a little bit more latitude for getting involved with those things. So that will be in the show notes. Make sure you check that out if you want to learn more on those fronts. And then on top of it, there's this idea that churches, there's a lot of things that aren't necessarily partisan in nature that churches can do that reinforce what we were just talking about a moment ago, which is being good community members. And that means things like running voter registration drives or helping become a polling place so that there can be an election hosted at the church's property. Those are all perfectly acceptable activities and great ways for a church to make a positive difference, not only in their community, but also as a part of the election and and political processes that we enjoy as citizens of this country. And so just keep in mind that there are always ways that churches can be involved with these things in positive ways. On the flip side, and to the point that you're getting to here too, Erika, there's also this dimension that we've come to know, unfortunately, and that is that sometimes in political election years, there can be a greater degree of hostility, angst, anger, frustration. I think we all feel it. We all know it ourselves personally. We've seen it in different times and places and spaces, including in our churches. And so that can be a really difficult thing. And sometimes, regrettably, it can bring out the worst in people. And so this is always a reminder, too, for leaders to be thinking and praying about how we can serve in a manner for our congregants as a place to help call out the best in us, the ways that we can be better as far as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and also as witnesses to the community at large when we engage in these political discussions and matters. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so good. That's so good, Matthew. All right. So that's our top four that we're looking forward to in 2024. I hope that we've been able to flag some areas for consideration for you. We are wishing you the very best as we wrap up a fantastic season here at the Church Law Podcast. We've loved having you along every step of the way. And listen, if this podcast has been at all of help to you, we would ask that you would rate and review. We would love to hear from you. And we want other church leaders to know that this valuable resource exists. Thank you so much, Matt, for being with us again today and appreciate the wisdom that you've shared. Erika, thanks for having me. It's always great to be here. Just really grateful for you and all that you do, not only for the Church Law Podcast, but also for churches as a whole. It's a real blessing. It's my pleasure to be of service. And thank you, listeners. And we'll see you back here in 2024. Blessings. For listening. I'm happy to be your host, Erika Cole, the church attorney and creator of the Church Attorney Legal Audit System, my four-step proprietary process that helps churches and denominations assess their legal risk. Set the tone for integrity in your church and download your free copy of the Legal Audit Document Checklist using the link in the show notes below and learn more at erikacole.com. That's E-R-I-K-A-C-O-L-E.com. podcast is brought to you by Church Law and Tax, part of Christianity Today's podcast network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. 
It is provided with the understanding that the host and the publisher are not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, or other professional services. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional person should be sought. Due to the nature of the U.S. legal system, laws and regulations constantly change. Listeners are encouraged to consult with legal counsel to verify the information provided here remains current. Visit churchlawandtax.com for more insights.